Hi, you're listening to the Flow State Fishing Podcast. What do you mean? There's fucking two Sheilas in the boat. <laughs> Listen to me. Every time. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, right. Eh? Chasing sailies. We were like right at the end of the um, the season, pretty much. And we yeah. booked, I think, what must have been the cheapest boat in the entire <laughs> fleet there, because that like it was a massive like twelve meter bloody glass boat, <laughs> just this massive banana boat, and it had um, I think two forty horsepower four stroke yammies on the back. Fuck me. And it was flat out doing like fifteen knots. <laughs> And you just watch all of these boats with like 250 Hondas just blast past. Yeah. You know, and it was just sort of chugging along. But I think it cost like 100 bucks each per day. Yeah, right. For the boat. And that was with a captain, Fucking a decky that was a translator so you could actually talk to the captain. <laughs> and then the fellow who owned the boat actually came on the boat just to jig us bait. That's all he did was just <laughs> bait jig with a, a squid jig like sinker style thing on the bottom yeah and he'd just catch us liveies all day fucking hell yeah. what just like what are you pitch, are you just pitching live baits at sighted fish or what's the go oh well it's sort of it, I kind of think of it a bit like the um, what we call silver sands in Innisfail where it's like a breeding ground for spotty mackerel and when they're really hot like you can see them free jumping and just going bananas yeah it was exactly like that, but just selfish. <laughs> so you awesome. rock up to this area. It's, it looks a bit like that island that yeah, you talk about there, the background like on a, the Flow State um, Studio. Yeah, that big, big rock pinnacle. Yeah, rock pinnacle in Fiji. It looked like just this little blob out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, and just all around there is just flat bottom. But um, I think bait schools must just hold like, up around like there. an upwelling or something is it yeah I think it's a current that runs through there yeah right they're just like you can just see them free jumping you can see like the sails coming out of the water as they're sort of you know yeah. boarding up the bait fish and stuff it was unreal but the government like protects sailfish because it's a, like a tourism, tourism industry yep. but what they've done is they get like all these palm fronds stick them in like a I think it's like a mesh or something and they sink it on the bottom yeah as the palm fronds rot it attracts the bait fish in and they start eating, eating all the shit yeah, yeah so right, on the fun. way out they got these like palm frond bait grounds that you stop at and you jig up all your liveys yeah and they've got like um what you would see normally as like a coral trout live well in like a, a pro boat yeah they've right. got that in the middle with the holes in the hull so it's consistently getting fresh water and it's this like massive 200 litre live well that you just chuck all the liveys in yeah right oh, fuck and so you just head out to this island and um just hook a you know unweighted live bait with just a circle hook and just throw it out and you just drift just drift with the current and yeah the sailors just come what, in and like what just on like a free spool rig or something or really like drag or something like that and you just, nah, just, just yeah, basic like what you'd use to catch Spaniards pretty yeah, much righto. just like 5,000 spin yep. sort of 10 to 15 kilo you know yep. rod nothing flash and yeah just free spool it out a bit so that it sits out the back you know if you need to put a float on it if yep. you want to keep it up a bit and um, yeah just loosen the drag off and then all of a sudden you just see it start to take off slowly and you just tighten up the drag and off she comes out of the water. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty awesome. I'd like to try that off of here, eh? 
Yeah, I've seen a few people do that. Like if they've found the bait grounds, they just sort of drift through with liveys. Yeah, just like unweighted at the grounds in the north. Like that'd be yeah, great northern though. grounds. Yeah, go yeah. there and um, like jig, jig a heap of liveys and then just sit there and drift, sink piss. Be easy. Be fucking epic. Yeah, well, I guess if you're drifting too, like I've I've tried it actually spot locking on top of the bait grounds when there was no other boats out there. Yeah, and I found. Like the bait tends to try and swim a bit deeper, so you end up with mac tuna touching your fucking grubs. <laughs> so, yeah, you, I've I've had a crack at it, but I probably should have tried the drifting technique. I think, but yeah, we we're just a bit slack that day, and I don't think it was really a good day to be out there. There was there was good bait, but just didn't yeah. mark anything up, and just mac tuna city. Such and go the billies off here, eh? Yeah, we've had a couple pretty average years actually. I yeah. think the last um, two years I've had a had a go at you know trying to catch them i've raised a few dropped a few but haven't had any luck i've actually had more luck off innisfail yeah right yeah well, the grounds are close there too this yeah. cunt on his bike has been he's come past tall. oh no that's the hammer drill uh, i could hear him through the, <laughs> I could hear him through the fucking <laughs> through the headset i saw this cunt on his bike's come past twice it's the hammer drill mm. a bit of electrical work going on yeah righto um but you had oh, a few years ago there when i was in darwin you had a good season eh Oh, it was ridiculous. I'd pretty much just come back from romping like the year before, and my mate who I went with, mm. we're all jacked up on billies after that, you know? Like we thought, oh, we can do it here. Yeah. And, you know, the Bowling Green grounds were known to be, you know, reasonably close, you know, yeah. you get pretty good numbers turning up. And so he, um, he knew a guy at the fish board in Innisfail and put in an order for like some fresh gars. Yeah. So I got some real nice fresh gars and then he come down from Innisfail and we rigged them up at night, had them all ready to go. And I only had the Hornet at the time yeah. actually. So. so we're talking about 435 Hornet. I bought it off Brock when I first moved to Townsville before I went to Darwin. I've fucking done some miles that rig, eh? <laughs> it's probably still out there. It's probably got I've 10, seen it. hours and hours. I've seen it about a year or two before I moved back. So we're talking 20... 18 I reckon 2017, 2018 I seen it still with that same um, Yammy on the back the 40 Carby model Yammy I tell you what that thing is a war horse <laughs> if, <laughs> if I got another tinny I would want exactly that it was like the perfect just little boat motor it had pull start if you couldn't electric yeah. start had trim and tilt you know yeah. it, easy to fix easy to service you like, used to do like a good comfy 40k an hour too yeah like that boat yeah, it wasn't too bad. I mean, and the old, fuel economy was fucking stupid. Oh, if you ring its neck out, it was still doing like three kilometers to the lead or something <laughs> stupid like that. Yeah, I used to be a full Bicky in territory. I've had it, I took it, because um, you can fit two 20 litre Jerry's in the back and then three or four Jerry's in it. I've had it like 80, 90 Ks downstream from the ramp. Wow. Up there in the daily, in this little 435 camping in the cunt. It was awesome. <laughs> Far out. I think the, the wildest thing I did in that boat was out at um, Otter Reef off what? Cardwell, which is about 50 odd Ks. <laughs> and um, I went there for Easter with my mate that I was just telling you about that we chased the billies with. Yeah. And um, he, yeah, I had a friend who lived there and he went back home to Brizzy for the um, holidays and he said oh if you want to stay at my place you can so we went up there for easter and went fishing it was just like you know you couldn't have asked for better weather to take a hornet out to the great Class. barrier reef yeah and it was actually quite an interesting trip that one because we sort of bastardized the the boat a bit and 
he had a he was actually loaning a iPilot off a mate. And it was like when iPilots had just come out, you know. Yeah. And he was like, oh yeah, my mate went overseas and he gave it to me to try it out. You want to put it on your boat when we go there? I said, yeah, righto. So we chucked this thing on and oh, that was like, I, I think I went and bought one like three weeks after that. I was just like, oh, <laughs> oh this is so pounds. good. I know, I don't even know how to anchor anymore now that I've got, mm. you know, electric with um, spot lock functionality, but no. yeah, I ended up spearing my first Red Emperor that day out of a 435 hornet yeah out of a 435 hornet 67 <laughs> centimeter red out of i think 12 meters or something like Fuck that me dead and I, I i had no gear and no idea i had a one meter gun no float line no reel nothing and <laughs> i just went down and i seen these two reds and i come up and i said to my mate who was much more experienced diver than i was i said oh there's a legal red down there and he goes don't shoot it I said, no, I reckon it's legal. He goes, don't shoot it. It's not legal. I'm telling you now. I went, all right. Well, I went down. 65 and, legal, eh? Uh, 55. 55. Yeah. Yeah, and right. Anyway, I saw it. I went, yeah, right. And I followed it around for a bit. And then I eventually got it in a position where it was sort of holed up on this beautiful big blue bommy. And there was a huge cave in it. And I saw there were two of them, one that was a fair bit smaller than him. And they went in the cave and... I went, oh, okay, well, maybe I can just shoot it in the cave. Yeah. So I went down, had a look in the cave, and there was massive barramundi cod, a couple big trout, mm. maybe a jack, I don't know. I didn't really know what I was looking at at that point. Yeah. There's so many things that look like jacks and caves, and um, <laughs> the, I couldn't see the red, so I was a bit disappointed. And I come up on the surface, and I said to him, oh, I've lost the fish, and he's like, oh, it's okay, we'll move on. And then I looked down, and there it was. It come out of the cave and went up on top of the bommy, which is good because it was a bit less swim to get yeah. to him. And um, I shot him with the one meter gun and because I think my rubbers were pretty flogged out, like I didn't have much power, it only just penetrated the gill plate and the tip of the spear was like just smashed around in his gills. So obviously, you know, a bit of blood in the water mm. and I shit myself. So <laughs> I yelled out at him, I said, give me a gun, I need a second shot. Because my gun was hanging mid-water with this red just smashing on the bottom, you know, making a mess. Yeah. Blood and sand everywhere. And I went down with his gun, tried to put another holding shot into it. And um, <laughs> I couldn't figure out the safety on it. <laughs> so I just grabbed my gun and just pumped it up to the surface and then gave him his gun back and brought it up. And he goes, oh, I don't know if that's legal. And then we put on the tape and he went, holy shit, 67 centimetres. So, so yeah, 112 yeah. over, 120 yeah. over, sorry. Easy. So it was, yeah, it was an amazing little trip out in a 435 Hornet chasing Barra one day and then spearing Red Emperor the next. Fucking hell. I've, yeah, I've done some miles in that cunt too. And held up pretty well. Like normally they crack pretty bad and stuff. Those mm. holes. I repaired a few minor ones but nothing bad. Well, before I sold it to you, I spent about 250 bucks getting all of the ribs re-welded and gusseted. <laughs> like, because it, it had yep. been through some times. So, like, I'd, I'd taken it out in some weather that was definitely mm. not. You used to hit the islands in it fairly hard, eh? Yeah, I used to go out quite a bit diving. Like, because I lived with my cousin at the time and him and I were just mad keen fishermen. Like, mm. you know, we used to just drop of a hat, go. And, um, yeah, spent a lot of time at the islands diving and... I've got a pretty good understanding of those islands now and yeah. I'd love to do a little bit more around palms but I haven't really been able to access palms till I bought the hammerhead. So. Yep. Yeah, right. And fucking, you've had that hammerhead for a while now too. Five years, yeah. Just, just come out of warranty, the engine, so that's how I knew. <laughs> that's, um, because they were pretty new when you 
chased them up, eh? Mm. They weren't really big yet. No. And now yeah. they're pretty big. He's got it. Yeah, he's, he's actually in town. Like when he built mine, he was like in some shed at the back of this guy's place um, in the middle of nowhere. And mm. you'd rock up and, you know, a chicken had laid an egg <laughs> in the hull. <laughs> it was like a menagerie. There was all sorts Fucking of hell. stuff going on in there. Yeah. But yeah, it was a little bit um, like, you know, a bit of a rough show back then. But now, like, he's got his own dealership mm. and everything. So it's he's, running, he's selling Suzuki's now, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Suzuki, he, he is Suzuki Marine here. Yeah, I is think he? he's yeah. yeah, he's the rep, so. Yeah, right. At the time when I bought the engine it was you know, whatever you wanted, wanted. but mm, um, it's probably the they're probably the best plate boats that I've ever been in. It punches above its yeah. weight. Yours is what, four ninety? No. Four eighty. Four eighty. And he measures it differently, like as usable space. Like if you're buying a Quintrex or you know, any off the It's mark, tip to tip to toe. Yeah, they, they try and make it look big yeah yeah. <laughs> but you put it beside like a 5.2 and it looks the same size it's, yeah yeah it's unusual they're, they're a big boat and they're a heavy boat like yeah they ride well, well and dry fuck yeah, they're dry that is a very dry boat I've got a few mates with custom plate boats in that sort of 4.8 mm. to 5 metre range and although I have been in other ones that have rode a bit better um, just because I've got these massive reverse chines like it's a bit of a trade off like I have yeah. the driest ride but the big reverse chines, like I think the hull just sort of, as you're pushing through the first wave, the fine entry is quite good, like it pushes yeah. through fine, but as you're pushing through it, the force of the wave pushes up on the chines and it lifts the, the lifts nose the a bit. Yeah. And then as you go into the next one, it sort of punches a bit, so yeah. you do get the odd bang. But You got but, trim tabs in that too though. Yeah, that, that made a huge difference. That, yeah. I think like a lot of people sort of laugh when they went, oh, a 4.8 meter boat, why would you put trim tabs on it? But I'd put trim tabs on a fucking tinny. Oh, it, if I had a side console, I would absolutely 100% put trim tabs on it. Because when you yeah. go fishing by yourself, it's never fucking, like never level on it and you gotta spend half an hour shifting eskies and shit. Even yeah. when you do like have a bigger boat, even when you don't, like and you're shifting eskies, mm. they never stay where you want them anyway. No. So you're always constantly battling it. Yeah. Trim tabs. Like, they're not super expensive, but I reckon they're worth their weight in gold. Like, you may yeah. never pay it off. Like, they always, you know, say, oh, you'll save heaps on fuel and everything. Mm. Put trim tabs on. I think you do save a bit. Yeah, I get a bit of better on mine. I get tr sort of in a sea. So, we're talking like well, coastal or whatever, blue water. I do, I trim down, I don't know, I don't know how many degrees it is, about two points out of about eight points. Um, so, a quarter, basically, I think. Mm. A quarter trimmed down on the tabs and then trim up on my motor about 35 percent yeah and i get heaps more stern lift and i sort of in that coastal chop it's real nice you just sit up on top of it and then your transom is on a wave and your bow is hitting the next wave yeah and you just stay up on top and i get really good economy and ride and speed that way so i think they're fucking valuable eh? and you can like fully when you're getting a bit wet on one side and the shoulder and wind you can like lift one side right up yeah. and sort of um, push like cover a bit of fucking spray yeah yeah I've done that a few times I actually nearly come unstuck pretty bad once <laughs> I was trying to trim it out for the boys I had a mate in the boat who hadn't really gone out to the reef very oh, much yeah. and um he drew the, the short straw and had to go on the left-hand side of the boat. Coming drenched. In um, a bit of the Lucinda sugar loader. Yuck. Disgusting chop that you get as it gets shallow. And so I was trying to use the trim tabs to trim him out. But because I had swell coming from one way, chop coming from the mm. other, I was sort of having to zigzag through it a bit. It was quite, it was blowing about 20 knots, I think. Mm. So it was pretty nasty weather. But yeah. 
because I had it trimmed too far to one side, I misjudged one wave and it sort of picked the ass of the yeah, boat off a bit. Yeah, shifted ya. Oh. Scary. Yeah, it scared <laughs> me, like the whole, we had a 140 litre fiberglass esky up the front and it Full just of the went brim, smack probably. on the side of the boat and Fuck. didn't damage the esky surprisingly, but yeah, it, it was a bit scary. <laughs> Fucking hell. How, that, how bad is that, like when you're at the reef, off the Lucinda and it's just glass and then you look back inshore and you can see all these little shark tooth and white caps mm. and then as soon as you hit palm, between Palm Islands and the mainland it's just a fucking dog's breakfast washing oh. machine filth in there it is yeah it's it's not it's um, terrible and I know like I've, I've sort of got it figured out now there if it's as soon as you get to October you're gonna get those horrible afternoon 20 knot breezes that come up and yeah. if you want to come back in when it's a little bit nicer you've got to wait till just on dark so time your trip so that you're getting to the end of the sugar loader mm. like at about 6.30 or something like that yep I've worked, I've, I think I got that sorted out I, I figured it out a few times because I'd, I'd had a few hairy trips like that one and I mean that's a fantastic time to be out there because you're sort of on that straddling of winter to summer yeah. so you, and you've got coral spawning and everything like Everything's it. feeding and rooting yeah, and carrying you can, on. you can put down a, a bit of cellophane on, on a hook just mm. a bit. Sometimes you'll catch something off yeah. there. How about like the Spanos and the Wahoo and the Pelagics and that time of year, I reckon? Yeah, well, that I, I know Bramble Reef and, um, well, everyone knows about Rib Reef. That's a you know the hot spot for the commercial guys. Mm. They're, they're, they're breeding, and John Brewer as well, they're known as breeding reefs for the Spanish. And there's times there where, you know, you can chuck out, you know, dirty old pilchard that's mm. dried out on the bait board. Yep, and, and there's just spanners under yeah. the boat. Like, yeah, and yeah, we're not yeah. talking little cunts either. They're like 15 to 25 keggers. Yeah. Big dudes swimming around, man. Yeah. Yeah, they reckon who breed the same time as spanner, eh? Yeah, I haven't, I haven't caught a who yet, like, because my boat sort of limits my ability Distance, to get yeah. out. Like, I try to, I've been out to the shelf twice in it off Innisfail, yeah. which is about 65 k's to get there, which is much, much closer than towns or about, yeah. you know, half the distance. But um, every time I've been out there, I think it's just been, like, I haven't been trolling at the the prime time. Yeah. Because I fish so many spots on the way out. Yeah. <laughs> it's like one o'clock in the Arvo by the time I get to the shelf. So yeah. I need to have a bit more discipline and actually just drive straight yeah, there. Get, go straight out there. Just endure the drive. I'm pretty keen to start doing more off straight off here, eh? Yeah, I think there's going to be some really nice mm. um, ground. Because, you know. what is it, like 80k to the front of the reef here? It's a, well, Lucinda's, Lucinda takes about, what, 30k's off your drive to the front of the reef? Pretty much, Roughly. yeah. It's, a, it's about 67 k's to get to the first reef on average, like depending where From you go. Here. Yeah, like Lodestone and Keeper are very mm. much of a muchness. Keeper's probably a fraction further. Mm. Lodestone's closer, but I haven't. Yeah. I've probably done more diving at the reef off Townsville than I have line fishing. Yeah, I don't mind it because you don't have to travel as far in, by car. Mm. Well, the Cinder's like an hour and a half drive, like car fuel and time on your trailer. Yeah. Like, k's on your trailer, k's on your car. And then sort of my boat's got the fuel capacity to go there. And I didn't, we've seen a few people when we went the other day, but they're all like shallow trout yeah, fishermen, just, eh? Yeah, just chasing trout Esky up fillers. in the shallows. But that's no different to Lucinda. Nah. Like trout is king no matter where you go. Like, <laughs> they're so fucking the easy. They're easy to catch online and they're easy to eat, like easy to shoot on spear. Well, with how bad the sharks are too, you actually got a chance of getting them up because yeah. they... They don't tussle you on the way up. No. Nah. Like a bit at the start, and then it's like pulling up a 
wet sock on a hook sometimes. Basically. Yeah. Unless it's a bigger one, but there. Yeah. Fuck, we got some nannies that day. Oh, yeah, they were hot. That was, when you see that sound of black out, that's when you know. We couldn't even see what the fuck they were sitting on at the yeah. bottom because it was just black, eh? No idea what it, what sort of structure is down there because no. it was just too thin. Mm. If it wasn't bait, there was fish sitting on top of it and then Trevor's sitting on top of the nannies and yeah, yeah it was full of life. It was yeah. ridiculous. Well, you, um, we wouldn't have found that if you didn't fuck with my sounder. <laughs> a little bit of fine tuning but it's funny like I, I've been doing a few installs and stuff for people and I've noticed like I think with yours you know how we had to list it on the side a little yeah. bit to get it to read like I think yeah. that your placement like I, it only refreshed my mind when mm. I installed a transducer on the weekend but they actually have specific instructions on the degree you know on how, like it, when you go out and you test your boat you need to test like with yours because it's a through hull it's yeah. a bit difficult like if it's a transom mount you can adjust it but yeah. it's possible that yours maybe should have been just a, a fraction closer to the keel yeah just because yep. I think when you list it on that side like the one that I installed on the weekend I installed it to the T on the like exact instructions mm. from Airmar and it said you know the left hand corner of the transducer has to be 38 mil from the bottom of the hull Fucking Jesus. And I had it 38 mil. Like, I'm not a tradesman, but I, I had a tradesman with me who, yeah. who owned the boat, and I got him to look, and he said, yep, that's on the money. And, you know, after having done the water test, like, it was funny. We went in some rough stuff, and it was a bit choppy. It was reading better than his previous sound already, but it wasn't great. And then when we went in the calmer water behind West Point, as soon as I walked to the back of the boat, there we go, bottom line, just clean, flat absolutely beautiful yeah. and then as soon as I walked back up to the front of the boat no good no good so he, I told him when he goes home drop, drop it, it down a couple mil maybe you know two to five mil it's weird how that happens so, well I got that um, high speed pickup right beside that through hull too which is a bit fucked up I think that's what would be the because um, that'd be blowing water bubbles back like they'd be hitting it coming into it and then bubbling back out over yeah. the transducer so I'm going to delete that anyway that pick up mm. and delete that as live on the shoes as a storage and then fucking um, probably shift that transducer down to closer towards the keel and I reckon that'll help heaps because we bumped up the ping speed hey heaps we went ping, ping speed, speed max yeah because we were doing like max. we were reading clean bottom it was glass out as well but we were reading clean bottom in at 40 45k an hour eh? yeah easy yeah. Even, I think even got up to about 25 knots and it was mm. fine it was yeah. definitely speed was a driver but I think that was main, and it was the same on Sunday when I did that water test the speed of the boat the faster he went like it lifted the arse out of the water a bit more yeah. and because the determining factor of how the sounder was reading was the height of the transducer it needed to be a bit lower Yeah. as soon as he went faster it lifted the bum a bit and that was yeah, it it started gotcha. to sort of get a little bit dicey on the image because yep. he was he running a oh he's obviously running a transom mount yeah. One of those, what, P66? P66, yeah. <laughs> they're my, they're my favourite. There's yeah. a simple transducer, but they've got that 11-degree beam angle at 200 hertz yeah. or kilohertz, and um, I think that that's just, like, if you're doing that sort of, you know, just around the reefs and, and yeah. inshore sort of stuff, that is absolutely meant for reading at speed. And yep. I, I very, very rarely use 50 hertz, but 
because it's a 20 degree beam angle so it's a bit bigger like I've tried playing around with 50 hertz so that at speed I'm picking up a, a wider area under my boat because yeah, yeah. I thought oh, I might pick up a bit more mm. but um yeah, no good. But I, I normally, well, this is with Simrad and it might be different for people, but I tend to run a little bit faster scroll speed. So I only go times two, so it's just a fraction faster. Yeah, okay. And so essentially if you go over a small rock yeah. or some some small feature. It'll be a sharp it, spike. It, yeah, it, like if you've got it on just normal scroll speed, it'll look like a thin you know, piece of grass, you know, coming out. It's yeah. bugger all, like this tiny line. but. The faster your scroll speed is, it'll actually smooth it out. But there's a tipping point. Like I know on the Garmin's, everyone runs super fast scroll speed, same as the Furuno, super fast scroll speed. But when I run it on the Simrads, I I don't like much faster than three times because I feel like it smooths it out too much. And if you've yeah, got a right. bit of bump, you just don't really pick up on that feature. But I've been in some pretty average conditions where my sounder isn't reading real clear on the bottom like every now and then it like mm. has a little chunk taken out that it must have had a bubble or something yeah and the determining factor for me on when i found stuff was that i'd played around with my gain like i had it on auto plus two yeah is what setting i run that on just to get a little bit like it's a bit more noisy when you're in shallower water yeah but i play around with that gain depending on what depth i'm in like if i'm yep. sounding and like if i'm at speed doing 20 to 25 knots um, in 60 to 70 meters of water, I yeah. usually dial the gain up just a touch, just to get a bit more. Um, yeah. What's oh, his dirty cunt's got his ball sack out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad only you had to see that. It's very small. <laughs> Looks like a sultana. He's or? had one drink and now he's just been filthy. This is Chris, by the way. <laughs> Are you coming in or not? <laughs> You're a fuckhead. Just trying to put you no, on. just being a fuckwit. Just making you. Yeah, pull making you have to put a mark on you. Yeah. No, I'm going to leave it there so people know he just fucking walks around with his nut bag out. <laughs> Unshaven nut bag. Oh. Yeah, yeah, I'm definitely glad I didn't have to see that. Yeah, that was a good chat then. He fucked it. <laughs> it was great info. Yeah, we're talking about the uh, gain, wasn't it? Yeah. The so what does it do, sorry? So, yeah, I, I dial it up a bit more when I'm in 60 plus metres of water because I mm. find that it just like if there's bait or a change in bottom you get a little bit better image and, and I like it might not be plus three every time like mm. it'll depend on you know what it what it looks like on the day like and yeah. the conditions of what you're boating in as well can make a big difference of that like if you yep. dial it up too much and it's a bit rough sometimes you get a bit too much noise um, the other thing is noise rejection I like to have a bit of noise because typically it's in the top of the water column and what I'm looking for is it's on the bottom. bottom. So I don't really care if the top of the water column's... You know, yeah. What does that achieve though for what you're looking at on the bottom by not having by having less noise rejection? I, I think it... You pick up bait, more yeah, bait and shit. Yeah, you see bait a lot clearer and yeah. um, I think it defines whether the bait is connected to the bottom or not. And I always say that when I'm talking to people about reading at speed like if you look at bait and the bait ball is close to the bottom like because mm. I'm always reading with one meter increments so I'll have it zoomed you right, zoom right in eh? zoom right in like it with the simrads when you're in less than 20 meters of water you can go to half meter increments mm. but as soon as you go over about 20 25 meters of water it automatically increments. goes to one meter increments yeah um, so I'll have that you know zoomed in full you know, so all I'm really looking at is the bottom five to ten meters of the water column. Yep. And 
if I see that like you know bit of bait but it's not connected to the bottom so yeah. you can see that it's not like a pillar coming straight up off the bottom then I, I tend to dismiss it sometimes but yeah. other times like if I see it connected to the bottom I'll actually mark it and I've found some really yep. really good ground and it's, it, that's the good thing about Simran's like they're so accurate like that like you can be tearing across them 45k an hour pick up one of them little sharp spikes hit it mark it and spin around and you're nearly spot on where it is eh oh it's fucking yeah. sp- there and the, I think the functionality of it like I've used a lot of different sounders mm. in different boats and like it's a similar operating system to the Lorance, but I think Simrad just has. I think like it's a it's a nicer finish. Yeah, well, I think um, so. The Evo threes compared to the lives, I'm, I got told. I don't know if this is gospel or not. Correct me if I'm wrong, but um, Simrad have dual one kilowatt outputs. Um, so there's a whole one kilowatt dedicated to GPS, whereas Lorance have five four five hundreds. So that's why their side scan, I don't know if you've used the Lorentz Live side scan or no, structure scan, it's no. 10 times cleaner than a Simrad. Okay. Yeah, and Simrad read well as it is, and these, these ones are way, way cleaner because they dedicate the full 500 straight to the structure scan. Okay. Yeah. Um, I don't know what the others are allocated to. But they got a quad-core processor mm. as well, which is what I hear everyone market it as. Oh, it's... Quad-core, yeah, yeah. So that's your four 500s. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so your four 500s, and then your Simrad's dual... Dual, dual core, core which yeah. is dual one kilowatt so it's the same processing capacity but split just up just up partitioned different. differently yeah. I think I don't have me full head around it all but um, I know Simrad's better in blue water especially in like and they're more applicable to like MR tech too yeah I, I think the biggest selling point for me with the Simrad like I, I used to own Lorance before that and then when I went to the Hammerhead I was well, I'd, I'd spent so long trying to find the boat that I wanted yeah. that I'd saved enough money to sort of splurge a bit and I thought yeah. stuff it I'm going to get a really good sounder mm. and I looked into the Simrads and at the time it was Evo 2 was you know the ducks nuts yeah. there was no Evo 3 or anything like that and the real selling point for me if anything now like I didn't think of it at the time but that little dial on the top right hand corner <laughs> that is like <laughs> yeah, if you, you don't what, have one of those fucking dials it, you're kidding yourself they you just can control the whole unit from it. Basically. It's, yeah. It's fucking ridiculous. I tell you what, I um this made me think of it. So when I got my sportsman, the first, it had, it's got a nine inch Evo three in the dash. But the first thing I did was buy a fifteen inch Solix. And like it's in a box under my house <laughs> at the moment. Like I bought it and it's an amazing sounder, but the structure scan on it is unbelievable. Like stupid. Stupid unbelievable. Is that the, is it, that's got mega? Yeah, mega imaging. Mega imaging? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, you're talking like instead of 800, you're talking a thousand mm. kilohertz. Yeah. Um, but in dirty water, it's, it's fucking no terrible. Yeah, right. Absolutely disgusting. And the GPS on it, like they're like it's like caveman processors and shit running a high end piece of equipment. Like it, in it's perfectly applicable to like clean water and estuarine applications, I reckon. Um, unless you buy those aftermarket maps and shit, maybe. But I, it was the slowest, terrible GPS I've ever seen. And, and I'm, not, I'm not sponsored by a Simrad or anything like that. I'm just saying how it is. But the side scan's unbelievable when you're in clean water. If you're in dirty water, it's fucking shit. And the GPS is shit. Whereas Simrad, like you don't get as good a structure scan, but it's a good, well-rounded sound. And the, like the service is good and all that sort of shit. And it's super NMEA compatible. And it works with... 
what is it? Work with Yamaha, Suzuki, Mercury. Yeah, I think it's really t- dialed in on Mercury because you can actually plug your vessel view yeah. into the well, sounder got, and it reads it all out. I've got a Yamaha dial. Okay. So like if, if you were to buy a Yamaha gauge and take a photo of that and pay, pay, paste it on my Simrad screen, that's what I'd have. Oh, right. So I've got like a full Yamaha gauge. It's, um, I think, pretty sure it's called a Yamaha interface cable. Okay, yeah. Yeah, where you can just, it's just a gauge on your nine inch. Because I'm only just, I don't know why I haven't done this until now, but I've only just connected my um, Vessel View 4 into my Simrad via the NMEA 2000 backbone. It actually had an NMEA 2000 port on the back of the Vessel View gauge, and all I needed to do was run that to the backbone, yep. and then everything talks to it. So, so do you get like fuel data and everything, everything, like live fuel data? Everything. Cause Unfortunately, like the pitot sensor on mine, I've had it replaced a few times, and you know, yeah. if you launch it in creeks and stuff, like they get dirty, dirty and they and go to crap. Yeah. So, I've ended up just deciding that I'm going to use the GPS speed from the Simrad to get my f- data as to you know what yeah. sort of economy yeah. I'm getting. Well, I had to buy a fuel data sender, so it's like a USB stick with an NMEA plug on the end of it. Okay, yeah. Had to plug that in to get that data mm. um, as a live feed, so like fuel burnt so I just reset my gauge to zero every time I fuel up Yeah, and then it just shows me exactly litres burnt like yeah. straight from the engine so um, I know exactly what I've used but because um, it's got a my boat has a float valve the float um, gauge in it and I, I drove we did a um, trip in a top end barrel series last year year before um, and we went out at, for the people who know out at the mouth of Shady Camp probably 35 k's to the mouth and then another 30 odd down the coast into the Wildman River which is around Point Stewart fished all weekend had to buy 60 litres of fuel off a um, mothership that was there doing charters and shit and then come back we hit the mouth of Shady Camp on 0% and then I drove 35 k's to the ramp oh. so 35, 40 k's to the ramp so it's safe to say that it's very accurate that sense <laughs> yeah. so I don't even use it anymore I just reset my, my gauge yeah. and just fucking put a live feed in and it's, it's just a, it's yeah, a little bit more work but it's like super accurate yeah that well that's why I got the vessel view was I I looked into the fuel senders and stuff and I just think that the technology has been surpassed now like if you mm. can get the computer to read what your fuel flow rate is and work out exactly you know what you're using it's yeah. pretty much spot on like it's within 1% on my boat when I fuel it up it's so bloody close to what it says on the gauge so yeah. I'm pretty confident about what it uses but yeah, the Simran, like going back to the Simran topic, I think the, like the, because I, I did IT at uni mm. and um, the user functionality, for, like, because I did a, a course on user interface design, mm. probably the only one that I did any good at, but <laughs> I, I, we used to do these tests on websites where we'd look at, you know, how many clicks you had to get, like someone would say, oh, I want you to do this on the website. And so you'd count how many clicks it took you to do it. And yep. obviously the less clicks, the better user functionality None it was. And yep. like some of the stuff that you have to do on these other brands, like you've got to go through 15 menus just to do something simple. Yeah, so fuck that. Yeah. And with the, like the thing that you, I use all the time and it's super quick and it takes a second is if you go over some good ground, you press on the screen where you, where you saw that little blip or whatever, yeah. 
and then you press the mark button like it's actually got the physical mark button and yeah. bang, it's there, it marks up on your GPS. Yep. If you've got the sounders linked via Ethernet, yeah. it's on it's both like sounders. It's and instant too. Instant straight away. Because a lot, a lot of the time, like if I'm heading out, you know, doing a bit of distance, I, I leave my tracks. Yeah. I, I need to delete some because it does slow they down the machine. They clog up your fucking machine bad. Like oh, you, can yeah. have, you can have 10,000 marks, but if you've got fucking 100 tracks, it makes you sound way worse. Oh, well, you know, the, I didn't realize this until I uploaded it into a program, but when it's doing tracks, it like- Ping it's almost GPS. Yeah, like a, a mark every single, however yeah. many meters yeah. or whatever it is, it's ridiculous. So you choose up a lot of data, yeah. but they are useful because then you know where you've been. And it's amazing sometimes, like I've driven, you know, in between two tracks where I'm 20 meters to the left of one and 20 meters to the right of one and then I run over this small little rock or something yeah. and you think, I can't believe I missed that. You know, I drove past it twice yep. and the only thing that gave it away that time was that there was just that little bit of bait on it or something mm. like that. Yep. And so that's why if I see anything where that bait's connected to the bottom, I mark it and yeah. then on the way home, I'll either run parallel with my track and then crisscross over the marks that I found on the yeah. way out yeah, and you normally and, pick up other shit too, doing oh, that. Heaps, yeah, and if you're covering fresh ground every time, like try and yeah. you know, make your trip home so that you're taking a bit of a different angle or whatever, yeah. Yeah, it makes makes it all worthwhile and yeah. you end up mapping and you get a really good understanding of the area. Yeah, well we, when we went, you and I went out the other day, that was the first time I'd been out there in that boat, had nothing, and literally like, fuck me dead, we found some shit. And just being able to like have your sounder dialed in to be able to do 45 40 45k an hour to read at speed and, and tra cover all that ground like we went fucking three quarters away the, the shelf and back almost just about and we fucking found so much stuff like all those that little channel with all them trout bombies in the country we stopped marking them oh yeah you get sick of going <laughs> over the good ground <laughs> so it's like 30 for 35 35 meters of water and there's these bombies in there that were just like fucking five eight ten meters high there, yeah, that, them, was, yeah. that was fantastic ground. And it's, I've noticed it no matter where I fish, whether I'm up in Asphal or in towns or whatever, the further you, further you get out, the closer you get to the shelf, there's just more ground. Like it, it almost makes it worse. It, it almost yeah, makes it harder. Because you, you, you don't know what to fish. But I've, I've, I don't know if I've got it figured out properly, but I've found that particularly like if I'm at, in, in Asphal and I'm out the, towards the shelf, like just before the shelf, if I go over something like you'll find that many little like one meter or two meter rises in the middle of nowhere in 65 to 70 mm. meters of water and you go, oh, look at that, you know. If you found that, you know, 15 kilometers before you got there, you'd be, you know, your, your brain would yeah. explode because you that's yep. what you're looking for. But you just see so mm. many of them and you want to fish them all and you can fish them all, but you'll get bugger all. Yeah, like and a lot of them aren't loaded, like. No. Whereas if you find, well, Nanny's is a perfect example. You'll just find this one fucking rock in the middle of nowhere and there's no other rocks near it and the cunt will just be lit. Oh, then. Like that thing we found. I don't even know what it was. Desert. Yeah. yeah. I want to go over there and sand it when it is dead so I can know what it is. Well, it must be just a rubble patch or I don't know. It, it, I know I've got some marks that look similar to that when it's lit up and I bet you it'll be just a little half meter rise with a bit of fern or something on mm, top of it. It won't, be, it won't be much at all. It'll be a very, very small bit of... But yeah. it's probably in an area where current pushes through. Yeah, because it was fucking chockers. Yeah, well, you sounded, you you had that zoomed right in, but you couldn't see 10 metres of the no. water column because it was just all Full fish. Full of bait and fish. And 
it was fucking like not a tax man. We never had a shark. Yeah, and we fished it twice. I don't understand that. <laughs> it makes that's no sense. Very man. rare. We very rolled rare. in on it and we're like, oh fuck, this is all right. And that dog cunt in the in your blue boat. I don't know if he probably doesn't <laughs> listen to this, but I'd love to punch you in the fucking teeth. <laughs> he planed over to us and swung past us just to mark it, eh? Oh, fucking there's dogs. All, but see, the thing is, like, he, he doesn't have an electric with spot lock, and no. it's such a small pin. Like, mm. if we weren't sitting right on top of that thing, yeah, we wouldn't have been on the fish. Yeah. But it was a it was a strange school. Like, I if I fish off Lucinda. When I find nannies and patches like that, they'll normally be similar size. Like mm. you get the odd donkey in there. Yeah, but we, yeah. That was from like 45 centimetres up to 75 centimetres. Yeah, and we got a couple of big ones, like up yeah. around like, what were they, 80 something? 80 something, yeah. Early they were, 80s. They were early mid the biggest yeah. ones, yeah. Yeah, it was fucking stupid. It was weird, but you had to wait for that. Like you had to pick, like let <laughs> the was, pickers get through it. Yeah. yeah, you had to let the small ones go for a bit until you got like those real good knocks. It was ridiculous. Mm. It was ridiculous. And yeah, then, I haven't had to do that for a long time. I'm, yeah. I, like last time I had to do that was off Innisfail because I've noticed like further you get out towards a shelf, like I've been in 115 metres of water catching mm. 42 centimetre nanny guy. Like you would That's think fucked. in 115 metres of water that'd be big fish. But mm. I think like for nanny fishing, like the sh you can still get really good results at the shelf, but I think you get a more varied size mm. range. Yeah. Like you that get seventy five centimeters is primo, man. That yeah, that like your your recovery on that fish is pretty spot on. Like yeah. I, I probably lean more to that sort of sixty five seventy yeah. centimeter size, but like for a recovery wise, seventy five is is on the money. Like I've caught some big nannies and. You, you get a lot of meat off a fish that's above 65. Like yeah. they, they are worth yep. keeping at that What's your size. PB? 92. 98? 98? Yeah. Holy fuck. Yeah, it was a big fish. That's I'd be a wanting big fish. Well, I was with you when you got the 91. Yeah, yeah. And that, that was, was a fucking horse. Well, that was off the exact same spot I got that 98. And it was, yeah. it was funny when I got that up, like, it was, it was a really interesting um, day, that one. We... We stopped at a wonky hole on the way out to get some liveies. Yeah. And we foul hooked a doggy mackerel <laughs> on the bait jig. Yeah. And we got it up and we're like, holy, that's a big doggy. We ended up, I don't know how we landed it on that real thin line, but we mm. got it in. And so I said to the boys, oh, we'll keep that for bait. And mm. so I had this fresh doggy mackerel slab and yeah, he couldn't resist it. But it was just, yeah, the fight to get it up and to not have any um, tax man you know, touch yeah. up. It, it was, was stupid. That, well, I mean, I'm talking about where we went, but like we fished it in the morning and then we got, I don't know, where we get 10 fish, 12, what's it, our bag limit was nine each. Yeah. And we got probably 10 or 12 fish and we we're like, ah, fuck it, let's go find some more shit. And then we'll, we fished all day, come back there like on the knock and we're like, oh, we better check it on the way home. Still loaded, completely different time of the tide, completely different tide. And we finished, oh, I don't think we quite bagged. But we had a full esky anyway. Oh, it was, yeah, it was some stupid. But it was, it was like, close to baggy, but we had that much fish. It was fucking. Yeah, we were like, yeah, that's enough. Were, you could have dropped. I reckon you could have dropped down, buddy. Cellophane, like I was saying before, mm. and you would have pulled a fish. In. It, was it was fucking. Just, yeah, they were hot. They were really and hot. not a shark. And oh, I don't even know. You could have. That's anyway. where I got that red off. Yeah, you got that red. Got off that, there. I got a red yeah. off there. Big spango. That cobe. Yeah, was that cove off there? Nah, that was off a shoal bit before. Yeah, there, it was too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you Fucking will get them off that sort of stuff. Yeah, but yeah, if that if you can, 
if you can get them through all of the other fish that are fucking more than bludges. willing to eat your um, bait. <laughs> Cockroaches of the sea. Yeah. Fucking, I might have a piss, mix a rum, and we'll fucking resume. Sounds good. No, it worked. We're back. And on, what is this? It's fucking good. Oh, it's a, the Kraken, but it's a, a copy or a, I don't know, it's supposed to be similar to the Kraken. Mm. But I've actually just started playing around a little bit with um, doing a molasses styled wash. Yeah, right. So that, that one there's um, just a neutral spirit yeah. that I've flavoured. Because you're, you're brewing methanol for fuel for your lawnmower. Yeah, that, that's that's what I'm doing. <laughs> that's correct. If, if I get asked officially. <laughs> but, yeah, it's, I mean, it's not... Um, it's fucking good. Yeah, that one's actually... So this one here is what I call a, a, a double distilled run. So it's technically the, the heads and the tails of the distilling process I collect it all. Mm. And then once I've got enough of that distillate, I run it back through the still again. And then you take the heads and tails off and that. Well, so you've got I like... separate because there's... So there's heads, tails and the hearts. The hearts is the bit you keep. The hearts is the bit you want to keep. So as as you're boiling off a wash, which is like, you know, you you basically put yeast, sugar, and some sort of food yep. to ferment. And as it ferments, it creates alcohol. And then when you boil it at a certain temperature, alcohol evaporates and then you condense it and you get your distillate. Yeah, so that's a, that's so distilling. The distilling process the is distilling the boiling process. of the alcohol to get the that's vapors correct. that re- yeah, so you a liquid sort of thing. Yeah, so you turn the vapors back into a liquid through like a cooling process, and there's different types of stills and everything. But with this particular one, like I, I separate out the the heads first. So when you smell them, like as you're distilling that product, you're boiling mm. it. So it happens over a period of time. You're just boiling it, and you've got this distillate coming out. And the first bit, the heads smells like really sweet, and you go, "Ooh, that mm. smells nice," but it's that's the shit that gives you a hangover. And yeah, right. You, you wait until it just smells like pure ethanol. And like, I'm a scientist by trade, so mm. I know what pure ethanol smells like. <laughs> Used it in labs. So I sniff it and I go, yep, that smells like pure ethanol. And so that's the stuff that you want to keep. And then once it gets to the end of the distilling process, you get your tails. Yep. And it smells a bit like wet cardboard. It doesn't smell very nice. So if yeah. you sniff it and you're like... Oh, that smells Stinks. like it's She's got a, good bit, to of go. a <laughs> bit of a yeah ping to it. So yep. that's when you know it's tails. So when I collect those bits, because even though you discard them mm. and you only keep your hearts, like you don't discard them completely. I just store them in a big five liter jar and then I yeah. run them through again. And then you get your double distilled run where you, you still separate your heads and your tails, but your hearts has been distilled twice. So this one should be super yeah. smooth that I brought in for you. So basically you're taking your hearts and then distilling that, taking your heads and tails off that lot of hearts. You're Is that close? Sort of? Like sort of. So you, for like you're distilling and then you get, you keep your hearts from the first round and you keep your heads and tails as well in two separate jars. Mm. And then the heads and tails from the separate jar, like you're, every time you do that, you just keep topping up because you get about, I don't know, about maybe a litre of heads and tails yep. and about two litres of hearts, depending on what wash you do. Yep. And once you've got five litres collected of heads and tails, then ah. you run it again through the still. So you pour all of that in and yeah. then top it up with water. 
and then you end up with your, you know, you run the distilling process again and you, you run it as you would a normal wash, except when you're taking away, like you actually get a lot more hearts because you've put in something that's been through the distilling process already. Yeah, right. And so it's, yeah, it's extra smooth. Yeah, fuck. So. Well, it's, it's fucking delicious. <laughs> and like, like fair kick in the teeth too. Yeah, it's only 40% this, but it, yeah, for some reason it um. I feel like there's, there's knocks you around a bit. I feel like there's no like label on the bottle that says it's forty <laughs> percent. Yeah, well, I, it should be. I, I test it all with the alcometer, but yeah, it's a, it's a bit. I think it's probably that scientist that comes out of me where it, I feel like I'm working with like a chemistry set. I get that mad scientist sort of <laughs> feel out Experiment of it. Experiment with the yeah, and it's, it's, it's probably fucking one hundred and twenty proof some shit. <laughs> Yeah, it's a bit of a rabbit hole once Moonshine you get with a bit of flavouring. Yeah. Well, now I've, I've gone proper down the rabbit hole and I'm starting to use a pot still. And rather than like the, the washes that I do now are just a sugar wash mm. and you get a neutral spirit that just smells like pure alcohol. But yep. now the, I've changed the way that I, like I've modified my still and the way that I distill it actually keeps some of the flavour of the wash. Yeah. So when you use molasses as a part of your food and sugar in the um, fermenting process, yep. when you distill it with this different type of still, it actually keeps some of the, the smell of the molasses in it. Yep. If you go to the Bundy factory and do the tour, they'll give you this like clear liquid in a jar to smell and you can actually smell the molasses in the clear liquid with the alcohol sort of scent. Yeah, fuck. And so what they do after that is they've, they've kept the flavour of that wash in the distilling process and then they put it on, yeah. put it in barrels and then they take, like the way that they flavour the the distillate is with, you know, wood. So the yeah. tannins from the wood. So once I've, I've only just started doing this, so I'm a bit green with it, but yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see how it goes. But it's a more traditional way, like it's, I guess a small scale version of how the commercial distilleries actually make yeah, right. a wash. Except I won't be using barrels. I'll be using like wood staves or chips or something. Yeah, you put chips in a lot of your... Yeah, chips, I mean, they're cheap and they're easy to get out of the jar and everything like that. Yeah. But I wouldn't mind getting like some charred like American oak barrels. staves and stuff like oh, that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just like a chunk of wood that they've sort of cooked with fire. Kill vampires with and shit. Yeah. A bit of silver in there. <laughs> Probably don't want to be drinking it. But. <laughs> yeah. No, it's good. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it. It's a bit of a, um, you know, there's, I've probably got too many hobbies now, but. Fast, you bought a house and there's like veggies and shit, gardens uh, and well, you got well, a fluffy dog now. I'm an agricultural scientist. I've got to sort of dig into my, um, well. I'm not complaining because I get free veggies and fucking, I like get cheap and good piss. Well, look at this, you're just hooking into it, mate. And and that, <laughs> it's fucking good. I've got, got a beer and a fucking bot, uh, cup of rum and I'm doing quite well. Yeah, you guys in the territory, I don't know how you do this first gear and second gear at the same time. Fuck, usually my mates. I mean, I'm, like, people think I'm a bit of a savage on the piss because like, I'm all about them brekkie beers when you get on oh. the water. <laughs> I'm all about brekkie beers. Like sun, they have a beer on sunrise. Yeah, if you haven't had one, it'll change your life. Or well, fuck I've, you for the day, one of the two. I've done that before when I was a bit younger. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, my body just doesn't handle it as much anymore. One carton per person per day in oh. the territory. But like... Your rules are different now. You can yeah, be you can pretty be, sloshed. There's no alcohol limit. Yeah. But 
I've never seen anyone do anything real fucking dumb. No dumber than what cunts do here, <laughs> really. Um, and it's way more fun. In well, saying that, it inhibits your serious fishing ability sometimes. Oh, absolutely. Because you get by like lunchtime and you're just like, oh, I'm ready for a fucking nap. Well, I, I traditionally, well, I haven't done it for the last couple of years because my mate that I normally do it with, we've got a bit slack on it, but we used to do a start of barra season and end of barra season trip to Hinchinbrook every single time. And mm. we always, like, I've known him for a very long time now, like since I was in primary school pretty much. And he, he both him and I really love cougar. Like, you know, we used to, like, that when cougar I, fucking, like, it's a, it's a bourbon. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's a nasty. Cheap it's like bourbon. green bottle kind of. Yeah, it? yeah. <laughs> it's it's nasty, but it's just got the nostalgia factor. Like we yeah. sort of push it to the side. Like we're both. He's a person who I learnt a lot of my mm. distilling and stuff off. I think that's why I like Bundy. Yeah, like it's nasty. Like, yeah, yeah, I know. But like, <laughs> I, I like I like I drink a lot of like whiskey neat and stuff like nice whiskeys and yeah. I, I like wine and I like good beer and all yeah. that sort of stuff. But and I like all different sorts of rum. But at the end of the day, if you pass me a nice spice rum and a nice Bundy at the same time... you go for the Bundy. I'd grab the Bundy. Yeah, right, eh? It's weird. And, like, Bundy tins, like the old black rats. Oh, the black rats. Yeah. I'd, like, that's, like, like you crack on them and you go... <laughs> that's nostalgia. <laughs> that's cold winter's nights back home chasing pigs in the uh. middle of fucking frost-ridden hell running kilometres in the dark. Oh, that's that's funny, Well, it's—I have to say—I've got a soft spot for black rats as well. My cousin, who I used to live with, we almost religiously smack a few black rats when we've done a trip out to the shelf off Innisfail. Because mm. um, no he, coppers out there. No coppers out there. <laughs> uh, and we're normally coming back at stupid o'clock, so it's not not too much of an issue. But it's it's good a little good little way to celebrate. But it's funny, I I can't drink on the water if it's night time because I get seasick if I've got alcohol in my True. system. Yeah, I don't know why. I, mm. I've done it before where I've had a few drinks and then I've just felt crook for the rest of the yep. night because it throws my sense of balance out or something. Mine fucks me if I, like, and a fair few mates of mine contest for this, like, if I have a few drinks the night before, I am fucked. You, <laughs> like, on the water till smoke go. But, like, crook. Like, seasick crook, not hungover crook. Oh. Like, it affects you a bit. Yeah, it fucking rolls me, eh? And no amount of tablets or anything else you can do will fix it until all of a sudden and I'll just go like, boom, come good. Come good. Yep, and I'm just completely fine. <laughs> it's super weird. Yeah. But it must be, yeah, it's something to, obviously something to do with alcohol. Everybody's different, eh? But I've done it. I've been caught out more times than, than not. I think I'd learn my lesson. <laughs> but I get really excited pre-trip, especially like comps and stuff. You get really excited like billfish comps and stuff, you get really excited and you have a few beers and you're fucking driving out there and you have a few beers if you're not driving and you get out there and you have a few more beers and you catch up with everyone that's doing the comp because the billfish comps up there are real social. You catch up with everyone and you have a few beers and you're all fucking ready to roll and pack everything and and you wake up in the morning you're like, fucking still feel good, ready for another beer, get halfway out there and start rolling around when you're trolling at that like sort of... Oh, you know, that sloshing in the swell. 10, 12k an hour and then all of a sudden you're like, oh no, (laughs) (laughs) I regret that. Oh, that, yeah, I've I've been through that. Like when we do um, reef trips off Lucinda, we tend to, like if it's a, you know, the weekend's looking good, we'll Mm. leave, like knock half, you know, midday, Friday, get up there, Friday Arvo, 
you know, you're always jacked. Like mm. sometimes if it's like if we're proper like keen, we'll dunk the boat in and go for a quick Arvo look, have a look at a few inshore wonkies and mm. little rocks and stuff like that. But um, yeah, when you get, like if you don't do that and you come back, you know, you're on the beers at the Lucinda pub. <laughs> and then, That's then, dangerous too, and then cheap yeah. pizzas. Oh. And the beers there, and it's the atmosphere there is fucking good. Oh, like this packed a, man on yeah. Fridays. It's a great little spot. And, yeah. and yeah, the food's, like really good and it's yeah. just a, it's a good boise adding you know like if you've got Stuffing a few mates just go there you know have a few beers stay mm. the night at the caravan park you can walk down they've got mm. good filleting facilities and everything like it's just a mean. it's a good weekend if you've like you know as it comes we're actually getting closer now to when it'll actually be really better weather and like the only thing is you get bloody well this year we it might actually be one of the best years to do it because we won't have you know 10 billion grey nomads staying at all the caravan parks and everything <laughs> I never start man them pounds fucking hell just like oh, I don't mind them clogging up caravan parks and that but on the roads man oh like you shouldn't be caravan towing a caravan or towing something over a certain length of width should be a fucking like ticket under your license I reckon I'd do the course it's a Tommy boat. I would dead set do it if it was if it meant that them fuckheads could drive properly. Well, I reckon they should include a how to reverse into like down a boat ramp into that course as well because there is just I pull my hair out at boat ramps sometimes. Like people just, especially recently with like all this COVID stuff. Like I've mm. never seen so many boats. Like I got a mate who does the surveys at the ramps. And he said that he counted at the Townsville Wreck Boating Park 220 trailers or something. Yeah. That is an ins- Like, I've never seen... Mm. A, like, that's a huge... Like, there's four ra- four designated rams with four lanes per ram. So, it's a big facility. It's huge. It's and unreal. The parks is... Like, there's that many car parks. Mm. And I actually had to park up on the grass, like, you know, with my mm. boat one day. There, I couldn't believe how many people. But I'll tell you what, if you want to get frustrated with people trying to put boats on trailers mm. like jeez that is a that's a time to go fucking hell man I could have a rant about this shit eh? <laughs> I fucking if don't you cannot you oh, if you're in anything less than six metres and you don't drive the cunt on you're a pussy change my <laughs> fucking mind change my mind because fuck me dead I get that frustrated and then you know what else annoys me when you can't, when cunts are putting boats in and they put it in and tie it straight off to the pontoon right at the butt of the ramp. At the bottom. So the next motherfucker can't get their boat in. Oh, man. Yeah, and full bar. And one more, and then I'll go move on. Is fucking cunts that come sticky beacon at the ramp with no boat. Oh, they just go and do so a loop many. and get in the fucking road. But you know, we're going to be those people one day. Me Probably when we we'll can't. Be just, yeah, <laughs> when you can't put a boat in or you can't be fucked, you just be driving <laughs> down there and Probably. talking to the young fellas. Oh, how'd you go? Did you get many? Mm. That, that'll be me one day. Like, I, I feel for them a little bit because mm. I can see my future there. I'll be down there as an old man throwing chickens across cunts lines. <laughs> 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 and then they'll, they'll all be like too respectful to not punch me out. <laughs> Because <laughs> I'm Cause old. Because you, you're old, that's right. You can play the mm. old card then. Um, you said wonkies before. You still fishing wonkies? Yeah, I, I've actually um, got a bit of a project with QUT um, to do with research on wonky holes. Right. Yeah, because uh, opportunistically, like being within like research and agriculture, um, this lady came from Queensland University of Technology to do like, a presentation on 
um, like submarine groundwater discharge and all that sort of stuff. So she was looking at the paleo channels, but her project primarily was sampling the, um, like, you know, when people have a bore, they're tapping mm. into an underground aquifer. Yeah. And um, sometimes if the um, the aquifer has, you know, like if it's, a, it's an actual river, mm. it'll actually, like, you know, you can still pump water from that sort of thing. Like yeah. the property we had up in Innisfail before we left there when I was living there with my family, we had this um, bore on what they called a river. Like they yeah. actually estimated the you know, how much flow there was. So, yeah, her, her thing was looking at the, um, like taking a sample from those underground aquifers. And so I, when I spoke to her, I sort of said, oh, have you heard about wonky holes? And of course she did because that's sort of like the end point of what she was researching. Yep. And so we've partnered together to um, try and sample and find out, you know, is the, you know, stuff that she's finding in the underground aquifer on land, the same as what she's finding out in the ocean. Right. And um, yeah, so, so if there's anyone listening who's a free diver that can go down 20 to 30 meters and wants to take a sample jar with them, I've been trying to find people to actually get a point source sample because I've got this apparatus at the moment that I use where I, I mm. put like a 24 ounce sinker on it and it's this um, like Perspex tube that's open Mm. And so I lower it down on a, it's like a rope, a thin, yeah. just like anchor rope. And once it hits the bottom, I slide this um, lead weight down the rope and it hits the top and it sort of closes the... Takes um, like a saw. Yeah, it's like a, like a jar. Oh, yeah. It closes the jar. What are they called? Like a, a section of your... Like, it, what's, what's that called? Uh, there's a special name for it. Like, it's, it's weird. It's like... It, it only takes about a litre of, of water, of mm. sample from down deep. But yeah. because I've got spot lock on the boat, it's so easy so to easy. just sit over the top and you know you're in the hole. But the problem is, like, I've got to be there on the turn of the tide so there's no tidal influence. Mm. And if there is anything discharging, I can actually sample it. But the um, the problem that I've got is that the, the stuff that I need to sample is actually in Bowling Green Bay. And I've spent, I don't know how, like I reckon I would have spent maybe like 50 hours of trolling over the last two years looking for wonky holes out there. And I haven't had any luck yet. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, surprisingly, like when I go off Lucinda and um, Innisfar and stuff like that, I've actually picked them up at speed. Mm. Like it, it's got to be a sheet of glass mm. to see them, but it's quite obvious, yeah. you know. Have you ever poked around on site? Well, it's probably too deep out there, but um, I've done a fair bit of shit locally here in shallow water and you can see the fresh coming out of the ground like seeping out of it like you can see this little dimple like mm. golf ball dimple and you can see this fucking like plume of shit coming out of it yeah I've I've not like I, I don't know I've, I've I think the best information I've ever got on wonky holes is from some mates that I've got that free dive them all the time yeah and there's one guy in particular that this, I was about to ask yeah. you this that because it was you that was telling me the guy that like dove in one, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So actually, before we go to that, there's, I've got a few listeners from around the traps that don't probably know what one is. Okay. So um, that's only based on I've got a few listeners in the states and stuff. Yeah. So what is a wonky hole? So a wonky hole, I guess, are probably the easiest way to describe it is it's a point where like an old river system that 
you know, it's obviously been covered up by sediment and whatever over the years, but it's a, it's a weak point in that, that path that it's traveling where it breaks the, mm. the surface and it's normally associated. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, sorry. It's, it's normally associated with like a different type of sediment that's been deposited in the ocean. Mm. And that's, you know, from a particular period of time, like, you know, obviously where the, the continental shelf is off it, off, you know, Australia or the yep. East Coast now, that used to be the old, you know, line where the water used to come yeah. up to. And over the years, obviously, you know, the water levels come up. And so we've got these old paleo channels is what they call them. Yeah. And then, you know, if you simplify it down, it's just an old riverbed. Mm. And they go to the reef, eh? Yeah. They, they sort of get lost towards the end of the reef. That's right. Yeah. Like it, there's actually a guy who I work with that did a PhD on the hydraulic nature of um, Innisfail region. And that's just a completely different kettle of fish. Cause you've got to think like a lot of these underwater rivers are, are driven by our wet season. So mm. you get, you know, bulk rain, you get all of this leaching into the underground. That water's got to go somewhere. It makes it into these underground rivers and then it flows out and then, you know, discharges through these wonky holes. So there's actually a, a lot of people, like, you know, you can buy courses on it now, you can, you know, mm see it it's so popular like wonky holes are the big thing but if you you know because i've got that science background like i've always had an interest in it before it all got popular and i you know there's so much literature scientific literature around that you can learn yeah. from and one particular piece of literature that really interested me was a particular there's a an inshore reef off um like in between the mainland and palms mm. and they had these um like, because it's a well-known area for, you know, a lot of these wonky holes because of, you know, just that, that area gets massive rainfall. Yep. And, you know, there's lots of big creek systems and stuff. So there's a lot of old paleo channels that run under through there. And um, there's so many wonky holes in that area that in one particular year, uh, a research study that was doing coral coring were able to identify stunted coral growth on inshore reefs because of the From amount fresh of fresh water. water. So they Holy yeah, fuck. So they saw a ring on this coral that was showing like there was a wet season that went until October or something like that. But, but it was Yeah, right. It wasn't like they looked at all the other coral cores that they took around there and yep. it didn't show the same thing. And they said, well, why are these ones that we took in this area so different? And it was because there was such a high quantity of so they were fresh stuck. water getting pumped out by the wonky holes for such a long period of time. They weren't getting the nutrients they yeah, required that, that, to grow. Yeah, it wasn't, wow. wasn't saline enough in that area for the coral, so it stunted the growth of it. So Fucking That's unreal. Coral coring is pretty cool. Because um, for those people that don't, don't know, I used to work for Ames, Australian Institute of Marine Science, and now I work for CSIRO. I'm not a scientist. I used to do facility management and operational management there, but learn a fair bit of stuff and did a fair few field trips and shit. Um, and that sort of shit is insane like um, I'm diverting a bit but um, IMOS so mm. International Marine Observation Society yeah yeah so that um, what's the cyclone that hit the land here oh fuck was it last year year before uh, was that the one that went up Bowen way might have been it might have no it wasn't the one that fucked the Keppels it was the one after that Ugh. I don't know anyway there was a cyclone here that maybe I don't think it might not have done fuck all but um, it went offshore and dissipated. So the weather pattern, like you couldn't tell. 
And then if you look at IMOS's ocean currents, there was this massive eddy from the cyclone rolling down the coast for months later. Like, that's not, it's not relative to wonky holes, but like, that sort of shit's like super intriguing that... Like, well, that'd be picked up on the corals when they do yeah, the coring, yeah. Yeah, and that's what I mean. Like, that's the data you can get and you, you can't, like, by looking at weather patterns and stuff on bomb and shit, you don't notice. No. The cyclone's dead and gone, but it's still doing shit. Mm. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Well, it's like, it's pretty much like tree growth rings mm. in a way. Yep. Because I've seen, like, I went to the Ames Open Day and that was fantastic. If they ever open it up again, I highly recommend going mm. and having a look. And they take, like, basically drill a hole through these big parietes, you mm. know, massive big hole, and then they replace it with, co like, pH neutral concrete. Because mm. that's, you know, the same calcium carbide mm. as, you know, what the corals makeup is. And so these, um, or carbonates, sorry, yeah. not carbide. There's a couple of big cores in Ames on display. Yeah, yeah, there is, yeah. And you can actually see the flood events and everything. Mm. It's, it's really interesting. So... Yeah, anyway, I guess we're diverting off mm. the, what a wonky hole is, but that should be a pretty good understanding of, you know, they're basically a, yeah. a hole in the ocean floor where so, it's gone to like a softer sort of sediment like mud yeah. and it's just forced that pressure. So when you get a heavy rainfall event, those underwater rivers flow and then that weak point out in the ocean is where they burst out. Mm. And so I guess from like a, um, like a perspective of someone who's looking at the potential impacts. Like we, we have a look, like I used to work a lot in um, like trying to change agriculture to be more sustainable. And we looked a lot at, you know, surface runoff mm. of, you know, contaminants and whatever from, yep. you know, farming or, you know, industry or even, you know, pe you know your normal people in, you know, their backyard fertilizing their roses or whatever. Yeah. And um, like surface runoff, has exposure to light sunlight and it's also got a lot of like bio layers in a way like it's got yeah. to go through you know seaweed and grasses and all that sort of stuff and those things uptake nutrients and stuff like that but what we haven't quantified and this is the whole point of the research that i'm involved in um with qt is to look at you know is that because we do get nutrients and stuff going down when we get those heavy rainfall events and they hit those rivers mm. you know, so are they like because they're not exposed to sunlight they're getting like a free trip straight out halfway to the reef like yeah is that what is that what we're going to find like because she's finding the results that there is nitrogen and stuff in that groundwater yeah and we want to know if it's still popping up out there so it could be an interesting little thing but wonky holes like they're what do they attract fish? Well, they're like a little ecosystem, like because it pumps out this nutrient and stuff like that, like we hypothesize. Mm. The, if you look around the outside of a wonky hole, you know, there's a lot of, like it spews out bits of rubble and there's like a lot of algae and little, you know, bits and pieces that start growing around yep. it. So it creates this like little ecosystem and a, like, you know, the wonky holes are called wonky holes because of the trawlers back in the day. They called mm. them those because they get the, you know, the oh, nets and the, yeah. the boards caught in those soft areas and it drag them down. It's like a divot, eh? Like it's weird. It looks, yeah. it's, it, it sounds like a, like sounds as in sounding with a sounder. Like it's got like, if you sound over them well, they like, it's like a cavern underneath the bottom mm. like you there's a depression and yeah. you can see like some of them can be 30 meters wide like mm. there's one monkey hole that i've got 
um, that's massive. It's about 20 or 30 metres wide mm. and it's actually got two holes in the hole. So there's a depression in the bottom mm. and then there's two holes that come out of the hole, like on the sides. Yeah. And it, the wonky holes actually change in formation as you go up and down the coastline depending on how much like hydraulic pressure, I guess, they get from you know the mountain ranges and all that sort of thing. So the further you go north, the closer those big mountain ranges are to the coastline. Mm. And so you'll get different formations of wonky holes, like some will sort of pop out of the side so yeah. they won't actually be like a whole hole. They'll look like a lump with a bit of a hole pointing out on a 45 degree angle out of the bottom. Yeah. And some of them will be just like a tube that just goes down and others will be like a bit of a flat depression with smaller holes that sort of pop up. Yeah. And right. then of course there's the ones that are further out. Um, they're in deeper water and they're probably the most desirable for fishermen because mm. they tend to have a bit more like corally sort of stuff and you'll- Stuff around Yeah, them, you yeah. get your red emperor and like trout yeah. and all those other yep. sort of other species you got to make that we spoke about it before but you got to make that dived them or he dove in one or we followed a yeah what was the story where he followed a big fuck off nanny yeah and it, the nanny swam into the wonky hole yeah that was that massive one that i was telling you about that's like 30 meter big depression in the yeah. bottom and the hole like one of the holes that comes out of the side of it was so big, like he, he was following, like he, he estimated, like he does a lot of driving and estimated about, you know, decent fish, like mm. 70 to 80 sort of centimetres and lined it up and then it swam into the hole and like he could have swam in top, like his body into the hole. <laughs> Some insane. of them are massive. Like Cause a, they, they push a lot of current shit too. Hey, like when, uh, was it, I'm pretty sure it was also you that was telling me, like you dive down there and you sink really fast. You can feel the, the yeah. force, like the flow. Yeah, I've oh, got a mate yeah. who scuba dives one off Babinda. Yeah. And it's like a little volcano, he says. Like it sort of comes up into a point and there's a, you know, the hole in the middle. And when, when it's flowing, like I think that one's actually driven more by the islands as opposed to the land. And How do you mean? Like, on, so like rain on the islands? Rain on the islands, yeah. That's, that's his theory of it. Yeah. I've, I've not, um, I've not dot. You know, I haven't gone down on it or anything like mm. that, but um, yeah. So th this particular one, like he says, that when you've got like a lot of that hydraulic pressure, mm. you can actually like on a super calm day, he's actually seen like a bit of a boil on the surface from like the force. So he's actually scuba dived down, had a look at it, and then when he wanted to come back up, he just got into the flow of the water and, and pushed float. him back Where? up to the surface. <laughs> That's a fucking lot of water. Right? That's a lot of pressure, but. The the jury's out, like I'm still trying to understand when they do flow, because they reckon that like straight after rain, everyone goes, oh yeah, they're gonna be flowing. But I've had a number of mates who free dive them that reckon that they don't actually flow straight away. Well, it's gotta get down into the reservoir. Yeah, it's gotta it push through. And they reckon that it's several months after like a heavy rainfall event that they flow. Yeah. And that's why, why I've got this problem trying to get a sample, because I've gone out like, directly after rainfall and tried to get a sample mm. and the data we've got back's just showing like you know seawater like nothing there but i couldn't justify whether i was perfectly over the hole mm. that you know where the flow was and everything was perfect so having a free diver go down and actually going oh yeah there's fresh water coming out here yeah right you know you'd be able to take a grab sample that you know is going to get your results yep. so they're full of like one or two nannies and big bludgers anyway. Yeah, the, the inshore ones in the mud, they're absolute havens for gold spot cod. <laughs> My God, there's so many gold spots. I've dropped GoPros down on them before 
and there's footage on YouTube, you know, several guys diving them and, mm. you know, you just see gold spot cod everywhere. And you can actually see them on the sand when you get there. They sort of, they hug really close to the bottom. Mm. So if you see a nice big thick line close to the bottom, sometimes I don't bait jig it because I hope that I'll hook a bait and I'll just get devoured by like cod straight away. Cod. But um, the nannies seem to sit up a bit higher on them. And I find that, and this is a theory from a guy that... Um, like sort of he's he's got a lot of experience with wonky holes and um you know he's not very well known he's just a fellow i met through agriculture mm. and um he reckons that the high tide is the ultimate time to fish them because why they're the nannies well they're a transient fish they don't they're not a territorial fish like mm. a cod or whatever so they're not going to be there all the time mm. they'll be there when it suits them and he seems to think that he's seen more forage like they forage around the holes like where there's like a cluster of them they'll forage around that area mm. on the high tide so he thinks that the high tide pushes them inshore and then as the tide runs that makes out, no sense them. though that's against the fucking i know but i, I have yeah, to right say on. all of the nannies that i've caught on monkey holes have been over the about tide. an hour and a half either side of the top of high it's weird that eh? yeah um, but that's inshore ones yeah. offshore ones like you never like we're talking don't offshore ex- how far like we're talking uh, like the front of the reef well when I'm talking about offshore I'm thinking more about the depth mm. so Wonky's 25 plus metres deep yeah so there's you know people who've found them in 40 metres mm. you know so it's it just depends on where you are like if you go up to Cooktown a lot of the Wonky holes are in sort of 30 sort of metres yep. whereas as you come in closer, like Babinda, you know, Lucinda sort of area, they're yep. more in that 20 to 25 metre range. You'll find them deeper, but they're more common in that. Um, yeah, right. And it's a different type. Like, you know, there's all, wonkies are completely different. I've got some massive wonky holes that I've rarely, ever, like I've only ever caught cod off them. And then I've got some really tiny ones in a, a bit deeper water, like 23, 24 mm. metres. And I've caught more consistent, but you, you're getting big fish, like you're getting yeah. those big fish. And not inshore. heaps, hey, like. No. no. Um, you will, like, occasionally you'll get them schooling on there, but it's, I think those inshore ones, from my experience, is more just those solitary big fish that are scavenging. Yeah. And because of that softer sediment around the outside of the hole, like there's a lot of crustaceans and, shit, and yeah. stuff around them, like the trawlers now, because they know where they are. I've been sitting on one before and seen a trawler about 20 to 30 metres away from me just doing laps around, around it. it. Because uh, the prawns school up around it. Yeah. And um, a lot of the time I've actually, when I've hooked nannies, you know, some of them have spewed up, you know, once you get them up. And I've had mantis shrimp and like big banana prawns and all sorts of stuff come out. Yeah, right. And um, yeah, it's interesting. So they must be foraging around there for crustaceans because that's, that's, that's a really, you know, primary part of that that food for for nanny guy i think they eat a lot of crustaceans probably why they taste so good they fucking do taste good too yeah actually let's go ikijimi yeah let's have a piss break and let's talk ikijimi 